Good morning. All right, good, good, good. I'd invite you to pull out the sermon uh, card that you have that you received when you came in as well. We're going to be in the book of Ruth here today. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I just want to ask that God would bless our time together. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for those words that were just spoken, Lord, that, that you call us to join you in, in your mission. And, uh, and Lord, that also includes learning more about you, the love, the hesed that you have uh, for us and, and for this world. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word once again, may we be encouraged and challenged um, by your word and by uh, what you call us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, my name is Pastor Dave. I'm the pastor at Trinity Galewood. Uh, Galewood's a neighborhood in the city of Chicago, just north of Oak Park. And it is great to be here again uh, with everyone. And we are in the middle of this series entitled Ruth, where we are literally diving in to the book of Ruth. Ruth is um, a short book in the Old Testament, only four chapters long. And what we see about Ruth is, is kind of this description here. If you can look at the side wall here, you can see the words that are actually up there that, that say love, faithfulness, loyalty, mercy, grace, and kindness. And this, these words kind of encompass this larger word in the Hebrew, two words that we've been talking about. The first one is hesed. Say that with me. One, two, three, very good, all right? And Hesed is this. It's a loving mercy, grace, compassion, kindness, steadfast, faithful love, covenant love, unfailing love. Uh, we might use the word love, but in our culture, um, that we, we kind of lose the, the heartbeat of what Hesed really is. It's this very deep, intimate, uh, loyal, unfailing, all of those descriptive words right there. And the second word we've been focusing on is this word, ezer. Say that word with me. One, two, three. Ezer. All right. And that means help or helper. And when we look at the book of Ruth, we notice that, that God is this ezer, this help, this helper that we have. And in fact, next week we'll be talking about a man named Boaz who really encompasses this in Ruth. So you're going to want to be here for that next week. But today I want to give you another word. And it's not in Hebrew, all right? Somebody's like, thank you, all right? Might be able to remember this one. So the word is this infatuation. Say that with me. One, two, three. Infatuation. All right. Infatuation is this an intense but short lived passion or admiration. For someone or something. Uh, raise your hand if you have ever been infatuated over someone or something. All right, don't look at your spouse right now, okay? <laughs> it's gonna be really weird, and that's gonna be a long conversation when you get home, all right? But infatuation is something that we see happen often in our lives. Uh, for me, I saw this a couple weeks ago. It, it came uh, with one of these little things because uh, my wife 
and I decided that uh, we've got a ton of projects to work on at our house. And so we decided that Friday, my day off, was going to be like work day at the house. You ever been in this situation before, gentlemen? All right? Where it's like a forceful suggestion, right? And so, um, and so we, Friday comes, we wake up early, we go to our favorite breakfast spot near our house. It's called Grandma Sally's. Get, get a good meal in, and we bring the notepad. And on the notepad, we start to write all of the projects that we want to get done on that Friday. And on that notepad comes just all the supplies as well that we need. We're infatuated, we're excited, we're passionate because we're going to be working and we're going to get some stuff done. And so after that big meal, we proceed to go to Menards, right? Um, heard good things about that place and we're still infatuated. We're still just picking up all these items and everything like that and it's just going really well. And then we get home. And the infatuation starts to diminish a little bit with that first project. Because, of course, when you're doing projects, like everything in your mind seems to just be perfect and good, and then you actually do it, right? And it takes just four times longer than you ever anticipated. And I'm here to report today that of those eight projects that we set out to do, we started six of them on that Friday, and as of yesterday, we have now completed four of them. Yeah, you're like, hey, that's pretty good. That's above average, right? Really need you guys here on Saturday night when my wife is here for that. So. But what I was thinking about is, is this. I was thinking about in the middle of all of these projects that, that this is so true how life works in, in relationships, right? Like in our relationships, we are just initially, there's this infatuation. We're so excited. We have this like passion. And, like, and when it's new, it's just, it's exciting and, and, and full of so much joy. And for example, if you're, if you're married, you remember that wedding day, right? You're just infatuated with one another. It's this beautiful thing, and everybody dresses up and, and looks good. And then you have that honeymoon period, right, where everything kind of just works, and it's cute even though it's annoying. But eventually, it kind of leaves, right? And it just becomes annoying. Maybe, maybe it's in that work job that new job that you take on. You're infatuated. You're excited. Because you're going to learn. You want to be a sponge and just take everything in. And there's just joy in that because I'm finding new purpose in what I'm supposed to be doing. But five, ten years later, and your boss shows up and says, hey, everything that you were doing before, now you need to change. See, maybe that's seen in relationships of just friendships in general. You meet somebody for the first time and you're just kind of clicking, playing off one, one another, having jokes and all sorts of fun stuff like that. But as time goes on, as the infatuation leaves, those jokes get repeated and you're like, I've already heard this story three times. And now that joke that you're saying really kind of cuts to the core. And see, if there's something about Ruth that we need to understand, 
there's something that we need to grasp here today is that Ruth teaches us much about life, but she gives us a greater understanding about our God. And here's the beauty about our God is that he's not just infatuated with us. Amen? He's not just infatuated with us, but his hesed is the opposite. His hesed is a loving loyalty, covenant with you and me. See, uh, as we've been going through the book of Ruth, uh, we've been focusing on characters. Uh, the first character from week one was God, and we talked about how God is this God who brings hesed. He brings this loyal covenantal love, and he calls us to live in this rescued state. And then last week, we talked about this woman, Naomi, and we'll talk a little bit more about her in a bit, but, but today we focus on Ruth, and next week, we'll focus on the character of Boaz. But I recognize that because this book is in the New Testament and it's kind of a short one, you may have skipped over it before. So I want to give a little bit of the context of what's happening here in the time of Ruth. It's a period during the judges and, and, and they're living in the town of Bethlehem. The they is uh, two people, Naomi and her husband Elimelech. And Naomi and Elimelech are in the promised land, the land that God said you're supposed to be. But we read in the scriptures that, that during this time, they're in the season of a drought, which is a big deal in that time. And so Elimelech and Naomi decide to go to Moab, about a 30 to 60 mile journey. They travel to Moab, and in the process of that journey, they, they have two sons. And when they get to Moab, those two sons get married to two women from Moab, Ruth and Orpah. And we read in just the first five verses, we don't have a ton of detail as to when exactly it all happened, but we read that there comes this point where Elimelech dies and the two sons that Naomi has died as well. And now the context is just Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws in a foreign land for Naomi in Moab. So that understanding, last week, Pastor Dan preached on the character of Naomi. And he said the, the story of Naomi is a story of God's loving kindness that hesed and help to a widow for whom things had gone from bad to worse to disaster. And I love that Pastor Dan was talking about how God's promises are for us, not just in the bad times, not just in the good times or the worst times, but even in the midst of the disaster, God's promises that he's here with us in that journey. And we see this in the life of Naomi as she cries out to God. But today we focus on this woman, Ruth. This woman, Ruth, who, whose name is the title of the story. And it's first important for us to realize that Ruth herself is not the hero here. She's not the hero of the story that bears her name. But in fact, she teaches us more about life and more importantly, about our God 
and the hesed that he has for us. But what's interesting about Ruth is that this isn't the only place that we see Ruth's name. There's another really famous place that that Ruth all of a sudden shows up in. And it comes in the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. It's the genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy exists to to show who Jesus is. And we see her name here. And in fact, the man that we'll talk about next week. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. But why? Why is she included in this famous genealogy? A genealogy that would only include five women, her being one of those five. Well, I think it's important for us to learn a little bit more about Ruth and about why she's in here. Because the story, if we go back, we know that Naomi's there with her two daughter-in-laws, and it's a pivotal moment for the family. And Naomi says to them, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. It continues, it says, And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and Ruth clung to her. And she said, see your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Orpah's taken the advice. She's gone back to her family. But Ruth says something different. She holds on to her mother-in-law. And she says these words, an incredible commitment. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts from me. It's an incredible statement from Ruth. Essentially, this is what she's saying. She's saying to her mother-in-law that your journey will be my journey, that your home will be my home, that your people will be my people, that your God will be my God, and that your future will be my future as well. An incredible commitment by Ruth to her mother-in-law, one that was not filled with just infatuation. But but it does really bring an interesting concept to mind. I mean, when we hear these two uh, daughter-in-laws, it's a tendency for us to think that probably one is, is better than the other, right? I mean, Ruth good, her statement is powerful, and Orpah bad. But see, Orpah is just doing the very thing that her mother-in-law asked her to do. She's doing the very thing that Naomi asked her to do, and it was the comfortable thing to do. It made sense. But Ruth was doing the crazy thing, the uncomfortable thing. 
I was thinking about, um, it's interesting how our culture dictates what's like comfortable and uncomfortable. You ever thought about this before? Um, our culture dictates what's like accepted and, and normal. Uh, for example, um, like the mullet 20 years ago, <laughs> right? That was acceptable, right? Uh, now if you're rocking it, okay, glad you're here, right? Uh, this hairstyle, right? Right now, acceptable, right? In 20 years from now, my son is going to be making fun of me. Like, really, that's how you got your hair cut. Like, our culture dictates what's acceptable or unacceptable. And, and in Ruth's culture here, in, in the time of Ruth, she is doing something culturally that's so radical. Because how dare you leave your family, the place where you were born, I mean, this is, this is radical. This is suicide for her. She's going to a land where she's going to be a foreigner. She's going to a land where she's going to identify herself as poor, and she's a widow. She's, she's going to a space and a place that will not be comfortable for her at all, and she's going with her mother-in-law, of all people. Some of you got that. So the question then comes, why? Why in the world would Ruth do something that's so uncomfortable? Why would she do something that's so strange and weird? I mean, when you talk to somebody who immigrates into a nation or a country, if you've ever met somebody who's came to America in their lifetime, you'll hear this common narrative that the reason that I came here was because of the opportunity of your land. And Ruth is, is going to a place where it's not that great of an opportunity. It's a difficult spot. So why in the world would she do it? Well, there, there must have been something. There must have been something that Ruth experienced and saw in Naomi that would have been different. There must have been something as, as, they, as she became a part of this family and as she heard the stories about this faithful God, Yahweh, this one true God, and how he had brought his people into the promised land that must have intrigued Ruth. It must have been something about God's faithfulness and this beautiful story of how his hesed is for all people and he's faithful he's an ezer he comes and helps his children and it must have been in that moment in time that ruth was like i don't care about anything else but i want to follow your god because i want your god It would have been uncomfortable, but she would have said, you know what? It would have been worth it. And it makes me wonder for us here today, like, like why did you show up today? <laughs> I mean, you could have like, gotten ready for golf this afternoon or at least gotten nine holes in. Why are you here today? Is it because of the music and, and the sermon might be okay? 
I would hope that we would experience this reality that the reason that we're here is because we know of the faithful God who brings his hesed, his covenantal love. Amen? Amen. That's why we come and worship him. So in the same way, Ruth follows along with with her mother-in-law and they go back to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The whole town was amazed at what had taken place. And I'd be willing to bet that, that that's the life that we sometimes live, right? Because we give up of our time, because we give up of some of our money, because we give up of the talents that we have or the compassion that we love, uh, that we love our neighbor, and it, it stirs people around us. But see, Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law was not one that was just like a wedding day honeymoon moment. No, it wasn't that infatuation. It now would become something greater. Because we read in all of Ruth chapter 2 that, that Ruth is seen as gleaning in the fields. She is now active in that commitment. She is putting herself in risk and in danger as as a single, a widowed woman in the middle of the field. She would have been seen and identified by the whole town. She's literally taking trash out of the dumpster right now and picking up and, and getting the scraps. But she's not only doing it for herself, she's doing it for her mother-in-law as well. And it would have been seen as crazy and so distinct and different. But she did because she had experienced the hesed that God would provide. Interestingly enough, thousands of years later, uh, the writer of Hebrews would say this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this statement. That a walk with Jesus, a walk with, with the God who brings hesed is one that's described more like endurance and less like infatuation. More one where we are just continually running with him. An enduring process that is set out before us. It's long. It's uncomfortable. But it's what we're called to do. And interestingly, the story continues that this man, Boaz, says to Ruth as she was gleaning in the fields, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, There's a shift now that that Ruth's God is not these foreign gods anymore, but now it's the one true God, Yahweh, whose wings she is now under. May He reward you fully for what you have done. It's an incredible story. An incredible understanding about life, but more about how our God Acts. But I do wonder, where are you today in the midst of this story? See, I'd be willing to bet that there are like three kind of spaces that we might be at here. 
When you hear this story, I think it puts us in three different spots. The first spot might be this, that, that you might not know of God's hesed. You may have just showed up here today to please your spouse. Or you didn't have anything else to do, so it was like, hey, I'll go check out that place. And, and if that's you today, I'm really excited that you're here. And I know a church is very excited that you're here today. Because I want you to hear that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. Amen? Amen. And he is working in that. He is excited that you're here today to hear about the plan and the purpose that he has for our lives. But if that's you today, my challenge for you would be this. To be bold enough to tell somebody that. In a couple minutes, there's going to be a time where we'll have prayer partners that will be located in the corners of these rooms. And if that's you today, if you don't know of God's hesed, or if you're doubting God's hesed today, I would ask that you would go to somebody and just be bold enough to say, you know what, I need to know more about this hesed. But if that's not you today, I think a second place where we might be in this story is this. That you have experienced the hesed of God, but have avoided the commitment. But you've avoided the commitment that God is asking and calling us to take. See, it's easy for us in our lives to fall into this infatuation with God and thinking that it's only about that. But the commitment that we make comes with action. And it's something that we're called to go and do. And if that's you today, I would also ask you to be so bold to tell somebody. To go to somebody that you respect. Somebody that maybe you've seen around here. Somebody in your life who's, who's living that life. And you're like, I want to know what you know. Because that's exactly what Ruth did in that moment with her mother-in-law. She clung on to her and she said, tell me more. I want your God to be my God. If that's you today, I would ask you to be so bold to do that and to get plugged in. As Pastor Dan was talking about, we have an opportunity over the summer to get connected into a group of people here at church that would love to walk with you as we walk with Jesus. But the third spot may be this. The third spot, that you've experienced the hesed of God. You've made the commitment, and now you need to hear, just keep working. That our time is never done. And that we're called to continue and endure and keep moving forward to not settle. Because what I, what I know that Satan would love to do if you identify yourself in this place is think that, well, I'm just good. I've kind of done my thing. I've invited my, you know, my closest friends to church. No, you're called to go and keep working. Keep going. Keep enduring. Do it because of the grace and the hesed that you've experienced, not to earn God's favor, 
but as an outflow of what he has done for us. See, the story of Ruth teaches us certainly about life, but really, more importantly, it teaches us about our God. See, why, why was Ruth in the genealogy? Why is she one of these five women that's included? Is it just to take us back to a, a story in the Old Testament? Maybe. But the reason that, that she is placed in the genealogy is to point us to our God, to the one that would come from her family line. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, who came into our world. And he was certainly infatuated with you and me. He has great plans for our lives. And he's probably listed them out, and he's excited to, to walk with us in this journey. But he's not just infatuated with us. It took him to the cross, to this place where he would live a perfect life, but he would ultimately die on a cross for you and for me. And he would rise again from the dead. And the great promise that we have as well is that Jesus is not done working. Jesus is still working in and through the lives of his people and through his spirit. Amen? Amen. He is still operating. He is still enduring and he is still encouraging us to go. To go in the mission and the calling with the hesed that we've experienced from God. To go and give that to others as well. May we go and endure that journey as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of Ruth, an incredible commitment that she makes. But Lord, as great as that story is, we look to you, Lord, and we say thank you for the commitment, the hesed that you have brought to us. And Father, I pray that as we are challenged by that, to, to go, to not, uh, not just go to the comfortable places of our lives, but, but go to some uncomfortable spaces. Maybe that's in the same exact spot where we've been for the last five years, maybe that's just a greater depth in that relationship. Father, may we be comforted and reminded of your hesed as we're called to go. Give us the courage by your spirit to step up, to step out, not for ourselves, but for you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.